The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
morning, everyone. It is now 8 o'clock, so let's go ahead and call our committee on appointments to order. Nice to see you all today. Good morning. Um, so we have a number of items, commissioners, that we do need to approve today. So let's go ahead and get started. The first is a uh, resolution recognizing the appointment of Marshall Kilgore to the Vital Streets Oversight Commission. Do I have a motion? Support. It's been moved and supported. Please note, colleagues, what you're seeing on the screen and what you have in front of you is just reverse because I got confused for a second. <coughs> Mr. Kilgore is replacing um, his his leader of the organization, uh, WEMIAC, Mr. Bill Wood, um, and will now be serving on the Vital Streets Commission. Um, any other comments about this one? Okay. All those in favor? Aye. Okay, that carries. Thank you. Next is a resolution confirming the city manager's appointment of Michael Bernier to the Grand Rapids Housing Commission. Do you have a motion? So moved. Support. Uh, Mr. Bernier is Daniel. Is this a this is a new appointment? This is a reappointment. This is a reappointment. Uh, the okay. appointment will actually begin in April. Okay. But since we're you know tidying up, wanted to make sure Mr. Bernier didn't have a lapse in service. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Um, colleagues, any questions on that one? All those in favor? Aye. That carries. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, next is a resolution approving the City Commission's appointment of Rebecca Popes to the uh, Urban Forestry Committee. Do you have a motion? So moved. Support. Moved and supported. Um, this one is a reappointment, Daniel, or this one is a new one? This is a new appointment replacing Stacy Bear as the representative oh, from right. Friends. Thank you. So uh, Friends has a, a seat on the board through their bylaws or through the ordinance, and um, so this is replacing that. And Rebecca serves as an employee on their team. All right. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. That carries. Thank you. Um, that concludes all of our uh, official business colleagues. Um, I do want to go to our uh, sheet that is included in the agenda packet and then also point you to the city commissions that we've received. So we've started to do this, if you recall. So you see the communication as city, a city clerk goes down there, communication from Bill Wood regarding the resignations for vital streets. So we just approved Marshall, so we don't need to worry about that one. Uh, communication from Cami Castaneda regarding their resignation from Community Relations Commission. Um, I think we'll have to go back and look to see how many openings we had because I, I think we have a few there. Uh, I think Aaron Yonker was one the previous meeting. And then a communication from Brianna Forbes regarding the resignation from the North Quarter Authority, uh, Improvement Authority. And so um, this is one of the authorities that I serve on. And our board has, uh, she was actually the chair. We have elected officers, so we're sitting in a good spot. And I think for that one, we just have maybe two openings, but we'll want to actively look there. So um, thank you, uh, Daniel and City Clerk, for providing this information so we can review it as we go through this piece. Um, so colleagues, before we get started, um, I just want to ask, do you have any, any questions? I know that there, um, Daniel had shared the information re related to this meeting, and there had, were other questions about other um, PIFs that were sent. Um, do either of you have any comments that you want to share before we go through this? Or No Mr. questions, just um, I, I've been in talks with a lot of people about these different roles, um, particularly the ones that are unique to our appointment. So um, we will hopefully have some of those come through here pretty shortly. Okay, great. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Purdue, any, any comments? No okay. comments. Thank you. All right. Thank you both. Um, so the first one that we have is, oh, and you know what? Let me, actually, I'm going to um, correct myself and say that 
Patrick has a, a little overview for us, which probably we should do that before we jump into this. Um, and look at you were being so quiet and not. <laughs> not I'm just, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, because we did a pretty thorough review, I would like to shift to Patrick to do this presentation. Um, I think both of you, um, when we came on, we were doing a little bit of orientation, but probably not everything all at once. So today we're going to talk about the different types of boards that exist. Um, just what is their purview as you all go and talk about people? You know, what is that expectation? Is it I'm going to be voting on something that's going to you know, impact this? Is it something I'm going to be inviting advice to? Is it to get my perspective? Um, and so Patrick and um, I know he um, responded very quickly to this, looked at the packet that we have for the orientation, and is going to provide uh, an overview for us. Also, please note that this not is intended to be like a full-on presentation. We only have till 8.30. And Patrick is always available should we have any other questions as it relates to bodies. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Patrick. Thank you. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Um, okay, here. What we have is generally every type of board will we have five different types of board as a general rule. Now, very rarely um, is there a board that, let me rephrase, um, many boards have more than one role. Um, the, the primary roles that uh, we are going to discuss are bo administrative boards, advisory boards, operational boards, quasi-judicial boards, and quasi-legislative boards. All right. Now, as a... Um, to start, the, the guide that I use the most, my resource, is the website. So whenever I go to, whenever I look for information on a board, the first thing I do um, is go to the city's website. And under the government tab, there's boards and commissions. And then click on that. And then you can, uh, there's a link to uh, every, the description of every board and commission. And um, like I said, that's what I go to as my as my number one resource. Now, um, every as far as the the how boards and commissions are created, um, they are often the result of state law. Well, let me just let me just read this here. Um, certain state and local legislation apply to every board and commission, but legislation can also be specific to a board or commission. Each board or commission has its own enabling or authorizing legislation, which establishes the board and gives its members an explanation of its roles and purpose. Enabling legislation can be found in the city code, um, city commission proceedings, uh, via resolutions, city commission policy, uh, state statute. Okay. So getting into administrative roles or administrative boards, there are no boards that are 100% administrative. Um, but uh, the administrative uh, uh, responsibility for uh, certain boards and commissions, uh, supervising or managing a department function or operation. Uh, the administrative role is generally fulfilled by setting policy and by overseeing the work of a regular city employee who either does the work or supervises it. Um, now, some... Uh, examples of administrative boards are uh, the Civil Service Board, uh, the Grand Rapids Historical Commission, and um, the General Retirement Board, uh, Police and Fire as well. 
advisory boards um, are responsible for offering suggestions and making recommendations to the City Commission about a particular area of concern or interest as set forth in the enabling ordinance or the other uh, measure establishing the body. Um, this type of body is expected to provide its advice uh, and guidance in the area of policy or operations as determined by the City Commission, but is not expected to establish policy or to decide contested cases. The actions of an advisory board are not generally uh, of a binding nature, and the major function of such a body is to provide advice and counsel to the City Commission. Uh, examples of advisory boards are um, the City Planning Commission, uh, the Community Relations Commission, Historic Preservation Commission, um, uh, an example of a solely advisory board body is the Parks and Recreation Advisory Board. Operational boards um, are one that is mandated by its establishing legislation to actually perform work. While all boards and commissions perform work in a broad sense, operational boards do work that might be assigned to an employee, but which the city or the, the charter or the city commission has committed to the board or commission to perform it. Operational boards or commissions are often composed of individuals qualified in a particular area and the expertise of these individuals is used in doing the work of the board rather than delegating it to an employee. In other cases, the board or commission has some operational duties uh, in addition to administrative advisory or other duties. Um, there are no exclusively operational boards. Um, an example of those are Community Relations Commission, uh, the Historical Commission, and again, the uh, Police uh, and Fire and the General Retirement Board. Uh, Quasi-judicial boards and commissions are bodies that perform their duties like judges. Uh, that means that they decide individual cases or controversies according to a legislatively established set of laws or other standards without being a part of the judicial branch of the government. This role generally involves hearing appeals from actions of city officers or employees, determining what, that, what the facts are, and applying a set of laws or other legislatively established standards to these facts. Like a regular judge, a quasi-judicial body has a duty to decide specific cases upon legislatively established standards and not to establish the standards or to perform the initial investigation. Now, although on-site visits or inspections are permitted as a part of appeal process, um, these bodies have a responsibility to remain neutral and not to become an advocate or supporter of one side or the other in cases or on issues that be come before them. Examples of quasi-judicial um, bodies uh, that have the sole duty of hearing and deciding contested matters in a particular area are um, the Assessor's Board of Review, um, Board of Zoning Appeals, Construction Board of Appeals, uh, Grand Rapids Police Civilian Appeals Board, um, and some have quasi-judicial roles in addition to other responsibilities like the Planning Commission, uh, the Civil Service Board, uh, Historical Preservation Commission, and again, the Retirement Commissions, or the Retirement Boards. And then we have quasi-legislative. Um, Quasi-legislative boards and commissions are those bodies with duties that involve setting policy and which have broad discretion in doing so. Like legislative bodies, these boards and commissions choose what they believe is the wisest policy or course of action within their area of responsibility. They are generally bodies mandated by charter or state law with authority that flows directly from the law or charter. These are often bodies that perform checks and balances functions by virtue of their independence from the elector electoral uh, political process. Process. Uh, again, no boards or commissions are exclusively quasi-legislative. Um, 
again, some of the uh, some of the boards that have quasi legislative duties are um, the Board of Library Commissioners, uh, the City Planning Commission, again the Civil Service Board, and uh, um, the Retirement Boards again. Uh, so, as you can see, most of the boards uh, serve more than one function. Most of the boards, uh, I can't say most, but a, a large majority of the boards are um, permitted uh, via state law that allows the city to, you know, uh, create this board or commission, and then by city commission policy and uh, enabling res city commission resolution, those boards are created and given power. Um, now, there are a number of uh, different types of boards that have special rules outside of that. Um, and uh, we could get in, like there's a the city, county, building authority board of commissioners, you know, all the, the DDA board, the DID boards. Um, they all are special purpose boards, um, created, mostly created by statute. And you know, all of them serve their serve their specific purposes, and it would kind of it'd be a lot to go into each one of those. So there'd but, be a lot of the excuse me, Patrick, a lot of the economic development yes. boards that yep. are created through the yep. tax increment financing rules. Okay. Exactly. So so that's my brief rundown. Um, so colleagues, Patrick, thank you for the review. Um, <laughs> and um, as you can see, it's sort of yes, multi-purpose, but I think it was helpful, especially as we're talking to people about what, you know, when and somebody asked you, I remember the first time I was asked to be on a board, it was like, you're like honored, you're like, sure, I'll be on a board, but then you don't really know what you're getting into, and I know um, just through our, our couple of months here working together, having as much information to share with constituents and others is important. Um, Commissioners, do either of you have a question for Patrick, something you'd like to reconfirm? Um, and this is all information that is also shared in our um, our handbook for uh, uh, boards and commissions. Yes. Mm -hmm. Probably not as in this much of detail, but certainly in a general detail of what bodies have responsibility for. My uh, The source of, the, of this information did come from um, one of those documents. Okay. So... Uh, Yes, it's Great. there. It's out there if you look for it. If you, if you need information on it, feel free to contact me. Great. Any other questions, colleagues, for Patrick? Hearing none? Okay, that was easy. I should. <laughs> um, and probably, I'm trying to think of some of our newer, newer bodies, and it's probably, um, was there a public safety board without public? Public, it's my, no. Yeah. It's my. Maybe it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's my understanding that the public safety mm -hmm. is um, has always been. It's a standing uh, body. Mm -hmm. A standing body or a, a subcommittee of the city commission, mm -hmm. the committee mm -hmm. on appointments. Mm -hmm. Okay, and just in the the years of the twelve point plan, we added citizens to that, but it still is only commissioners who can vote on that. So that is my understanding. And then probably things like urban forestry and urban agriculture are also fairly newer to the. They have. I've been with mm -hmm. the city for 10 years, and they've been around that long. Okay. So that's a, I can only speak to my it's knowledge. A, 10 years regard. is a good time. So, <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you, Patrick. Thanks for that presentation. I think if there continues to be other learnings, we can always bring it into this, in the, into this meeting because I think it's good that we can have the question versus sometimes the email back and forth, which I don't find as helpful. Um, but I appreciate your time and, and sharing that with us today. Happy to help. All right. Um, so if we, we do have a little bit of time, we can go back to our um, final action item to review the current board and, and vacancy list. 
you got it all queued up, city clerk. So our board of zoning appeals, um, I think um, pl our planning director, Ms. Turkelson, had mentioned to me briefly last week that there was probably going to be a resignation. Um, and so this is an important body that hears any appeals that come from the planning commission. And um, if you can send any pips for this one, Daniel, that would be that would be great. Um, on the Community Relations Commission, we do have a number of openings. And Daniel, is this these two openings? Does that reflect uh, reflect Cami, or do we need to add a third as a an, a third opening? There will be a third opening okay. once Cammie's resignation is okay. recognized this evening. And if you all recall, I think it was one of our first or second meetings, uh, Commissioner Purdue, you provided an overview of the process that um, community relations follows, So, which is, a, I don't want to say a little bit different, because I think every board has a little, we, we've just learned that everyone is a little different, um, or uh, reminded us of that. So, um, But I'll be following up to see the status of, of that with uh, Ms. Stout. Um, the rest, if you want to keep going down, I'm not going to kind of go through some of the ones that we've previously discussed. I think the Civilian Appeals Board remains um, one that we certainly do want to have openings for. I would say this has been a harder one to recruit for, and I keep saying that. Um, and I know Daniel is sending us any PIFs as we get information there. Um, we just did an appointment for the Housing Appeals Board, so now we should only have one opening, which is great. And then I talked about the North Quarter, so we will have, so we, can you confirm, Daniel, and if you want to, you can do it right now or, or later, um, for the North Quarter. For some reason, I thought we were going to have maybe three, so I thought we potentially had two openings right now and then this additional opening. Um, I believe we had, oh, pardon me. No, go ahead. Um, with the appointment of Mr. Skogheim at a recent meeting, that brought us down to one vacancy. And then with Ms. Forbes' resignation, we'll have two. Okay, so it's two, not three. Okay. Wow, okay, I'm doing better than I thought. <laughs> um, Parks and Rec, um, we, I think, received some PIFs for this, so we just need to, um, to do a review there and see who may be... Um, fully vetted if you recall we I think we said we needed some representation um, on this body even though it's not called for but I think we try to find that balance of the third ward or first warders that are representing probably more of the the southern part of the first ward or the southwest side um, public safety I know Commissioner Purdue you and I had chatted about that one a few weeks ago um, but we're pretty much full there so it's nice to have a fairly full board and then you want to keep on scrolling down um, and then urban agriculture which I know there were some pips sent about that so I know um, um, we still uh, scroll back up again thank you um, for the farmers market they are not able to commit somebody at this point so we're trying to understand if essentially if they would either allow us to fill that seat or what we need to do there but that might require some language change and then um, I did talk to Mr. Marquat too about Kent County because they can have a representative and he works really closely with um, um, the staff over there. And then Commissioner Roberts and Commissioner Purdue, you, will, you both have an appointment as well. Um, and then 
urban forestry as well. I know there have been some emails back and forth on that. And those are various appointments. And I think these ones are, one of these was the one for Stacy. Is that correct, Daniel? Or is it? Correct. Okay. <laughs> so one of those appointments was specifically a friend's appointment. And then I think the third appointment or the second appointment is um, maybe a mayoral appointment or maybe I'm wrong on that one. My, myself off. My um, records show that it's a member representing a major utility. Okay. So that would be at, at this point, because um, we haven't changed any of the, the language on that one yet. So probably it would be consumer's energy, I think, is, is usually how that's defined at this point. Um, and they, I know, had a change in their community relations person, but I see that they just identified a new community relations person, so I'll follow up on that one. And then we just filled Vital Streets, and then we just have one more, I think, on that, but that seems wrong. <laughs> I don't want to say that seems wrong. I thought there was more that we had. <coughs> Pardon me. No. Um, because we reduced it. We reduced the wow. number of members on Vital Streets to 13, and then there will still be uh, the two vacancies because Mr. Wood is being just swapped out Got for okay. Marshall. So still two. Yep. Okay, great. So colleagues, those are all the updates I have. Um, I think you can see the areas, you know, I would highlight the BZA, our public safety, CRC, CAB, and urban forestry and urban agriculture. But I know that probably at each one of those different work is being done. And then some of our corridor improvement authorities, I think those are ones that I always like to watch just because we know business owners and individuals get busy and sometimes you know, a new project or, you know, you know, employees not being around might uh, shift somebody's availability. So I always try to keep an eye on those as well. Um, so that's all I have for today, unless there's any other business that needs to come up under this item. Okay. Hearing none, we can go ahead and be adjourned at 821. Thank you.
Good morning. It's now 8.31, and we can go ahead and call this fiscal committee meeting to order. Uh, good morning, colleagues. I'm sitting in today for uh, Commissioner O'Connor, so I hope to do him proud. Um, let's go through our agenda items. The first is a resolution authorizing conditional approval of tax exemption and payment in lieu of taxes pilot for East Point Commons. So moved. Support. It's been moved and supported, colleagues. Ms. Bohach, would you like to talk about this item? Sorry. Um, if possible, we could talk about both one and two together. Um, we can definitely have the discussion, but we'll just have to call the next resolution. So right. I'd be fine with that. So this is actually rescinding. You've already approved both of these as pilots previously, and this is rescinding that action and reauthorizing it because there's just been a change in the legal um, property description. Um, the, the parcels were broken up between the commercial and the residential, and so it's two separate parcels now as opposed to one. So that's really what's taking place here. So everything else is the same as previously um, for the development of um, rental units um, for East Point Commons 2 and East Point Commons 1. So there's 56 rental units in East Point Commons 1 and 62 in East Point Commons 2. Colleagues, do you have any additional questions for Ms. Bohaj? I do. You mentioned commercial space. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I don't recall reading much about that in the briefing. We don't or was that from the prior conversation? Yes, yeah, so that's right. That's because um, it was previously approved, but there's two different components of the project. Um, but the pilot applies to the residential portions only. And um, But we do have a representative, um, Mr. Barker, from um, Hope Network, if you would like to have more information about the project in general. To you. Colleagues? I, I think it would be good. I mean, this, this project has been talked about for a long time. Long time. In fact, my, my <laughs> question was going to be about timeline. I think everyone uh, is eager to see it moving forward. And I know I'm particularly uh, eager to see the permanent supportive housing move forward. We know that that is so critically needed in our community Absolutely. right now. So the sooner we get these units online, the better for everyone in our community. So I, I, I think having just some additional information. Yep update the community on where we are. Good morning. Good morning. I'm happy to update you on the project. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so we're very proud of this project. This is kind of a career project for most of us. Um, the, the project is 118 units. It's uh, with a third of them will be permanent supportive housing, 42 units. Now the timeline is we're actively working to close this project. Uh, uh, we're trying to get it into uh, review for finance this week and try to close it in the next six to eight weeks. Okay. Okay. So the next six weeks? Six to eight. Six, six to eight weeks. Yeah. Okay. Depending <laughs> on the world. <laughs> so by close, you mean get your uh, financial stack all together and move forward. And so do you anticipate breaking ground yet this year? Oh, yeah. Okay. Our goal is our stack is in place. It, it, it is moving because of the economy, essentially. Okay. Every time okay. a, bank, a bank does something, it affects us every time. It's that sort of stuff. But we're trying to get it in for financial review this week, and we can close it. That takes about four weeks, and then it'll take us about a week to uh, actually do the closing, and then probably 30, 35 days after that, we should go into construction. Great. With an, with an opening of the units next year? Is it a With 12, an opening of units at months? the end of 24. Okay. Uh, our goal is to try to have it out of construction in October, uh, have the first, second phase leased up by the end of the year, and then uh, the first four months of um, 25 to have the, the balance leased in the second, in the first phase. Great. 
in our, uh, to fill some of the gap? Are you taking advantage of any of the recent state funds that were made available for gap financing? We're, we have taken advantage of some funds. Thank you. <laughs> you guys gave us, I think, $990,000, which greatly appreciate it. Um, we're looking at some additional funds. Our, our balancing act is the time of delivery, delivery of the funds. If it's going to impact us closing, then it's better not to take the funds. Um, so we're, but we are looking at it. I guess we just got the newest information of funds uh, where you can apply next week for that gap. Uh, so we're, we're act actively looking at it, but uh, just depends on the timing of it. And then can you respond to Commissioner Purdue's question about the commercial space? What's the vision for that? It actually, not commercial space per se. Uh, the, there's, there's really, I want to say, in theory, three buildings on the property. Um, there's the Fulton Manor main building, and it was in uh, four wings, two wings now. Each will be a project. And the third part was the Van Andel, Van Andel Pavilion which was not going to be a part of the project, and so we didn't want to make it tax exempt um, if it wasn't going to be used for that purpose. And so we split it off. Thanks for, thanks for being here, and thanks for the review. Um, hearing no other questions, colleagues, um, we can go ahead and um, take this vote. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. That carries. Thank you. And we'll go to the next item. Uh, a resolution authorizing conditional approval of tax exemption and payment in lieu of taxes for the pilot for East Point Commons 2. Do I have a motion? So moved. Support. Moved and supported, colleagues. Um, guessing there's no other additional questions, but let me ask. Okay, hearing none. Um, all those in favor? Aye. That carries. Thank you. Next is a resolution authorizing payment to the Grand Rapids Community Foundation in the amount of $113,365.19 to the City of Grand Rapids Affordable Housing Fund. So moved. Support. Moved and supported. Ms. Claren? Yep, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, this is simply uh, the City Commission has the authority to to grant um, property tax exemptions. We have the, the two um, options, the 4% of annual shelter or the 1% of annual shelter plus a 2% towards um, the affordable housing fund. So this is that accumulation of those 2% um, voluntary, voluntary pilot payments, um, 113,000 that we can um, contribute into the affordable housing fund now. Um, we do keep an eye on accumulation of these balances. I check it about every six months and, and then do the transfer. So, yep. Great. It's great to see that transfer. Yeah. Okay. Any other uh, comments or questions, colleagues? All those in favor? Aye. That carries. Thank you. Uh, next is a resolution authorizing a budget substitution of $704,500 for lag lagoon improvements at the Lake Michigan filtration plant. So moved. Support. Moved and supported. Mr. Berkman, welcome. Good morning, Mayor and Commissioners. So this is for a project that's out at the Lake Michigan filtration plant that's underway. It was awarded in December of last year. There are two lagoons out at the plant that uh, handle the byproduct of the water treatment process. So this will remove 33,000 cubic yards of sludge, put back 11,000 cubic yards of sand, and also put in a dewatering system that'll help uh, accelerate the uh, the, the process that uh, that is handled through the lagoon uh, treatment. So asking for your approval of this uh, budget substitution of $704,500 between water system fund accounts to move the necessary uh, funding into place. 
Thank you, Mr. Berkman. Colleagues, any additional questions? All right. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. That carries. Thank you. Next is our ordinance amending section one of the budget ordinance 2022-13 uh, for fiscal year 2023, amendment number 12. Do you have a motion? Move. Support. Moved and supported. Uh, Ms. Claren? Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> this morning, um, we have quite a few. So number one is uh, third ward equity fund transfer. Um, annually, we last few years, we've been having um, an, a, a specific allocation towards third ward projects. Um, for the allocation for fiscal year 23, we had a million dollars. Um, and I believe there's consensus to put this uh, funding towards the Martin Luther King um, Martin Luther King Lodge Park, oh, sorry, Park Lodge Redevelopment Project. So um, this, this budget amendment just acknowledges the transfer from the operating fund, um, general fund, into the capital improvement fund for a million dollars. Uh, number two is related to the item I just spoke on for the affordable housing fund, um, making that transfer of $113,000 um, the, from the general operating fund to the community foundation, um, well, putting the funds in place to make that transfer. Uh, number three is related to the participatory budgeting uh, appropriation. Um, one of our um, final, you know, allocations that was um, voted on was putting $50,000 towards the um, Cure Violence Program, specifically for the second ward. So we're putting, putting those funds in place um, to be managed by our Office of Oversight and Public Accountability. And then uh, number three, this is a grant. Uh, in OPA as well, that we talked about this last meeting is just getting that appropriation of $600,000 um, to our other grants fund. Uh, number five, this is Project Safe Neighborhoods Grant, um, $22,000 for um, into the police grants fund. This was related to software through SIMSI. Uh, number six, the Bryn Justice Assistance Grant, um, $8,500 uh, for the Police Grants Fund. Um, I believe this was just uh, wage reimbursement related to the MET team. Uh, number seven, uh, fiscal year 2020 uh, emergency solutions grant coronavirus. Uh, this is 169,000 um, of revenue and appropriations for the community development program fund with no effect on fund balance. And number eight, the blight elimination program um, grant. This is 177,200 to the other grants fund. Number nine, the revitalization and placemaking grant. This is out of economic development. Uh, nine, almost 9.4 million to the other grants fund um, with no effect on fund balance. Uh, number 10 is uh, taking care of some um, much needed equipment replacement. We are um, funding this with some of our American Rescue Plan money. So I believe it was for um, bleacher replacement as well as a float purchase, um, $80,000 total um, to the uh, general operating fund in the executive office. Number 11, uh, sewer system fund uh, is in need of appropriation um, around 2.1 million. Um, this is mainly related to the GVRBA programming. Um, expenditures are much exceeding the, the forecast and um, they do list reasons why, but um, this budget amendment is much needed so they won't go over budget for fiscal year 23. Uh, number 12, uh, this is related to a land purchase acquisition of 960 Bristol Avenue Northwest, uh, 340,000 
um, of revenue and appropriations in the property management fund with no effect on fund balance. Um, but we are um, pulling that money from the general fund fund balance to make this purchase. And then uh, we do have the acquisition of 4040 and 4044 Kalamazoo Avenue Southeast. Um, this is uh, related to land acquired for future development of the fire department. Um, 575000 total in revenue appropriations from the capital improvement fund. We are also utilizing general fund fund. Um, the, I'm sorry, for the previous one and this one, I, I said fund balance, I meant to say the contingent account as it was unforeseen. So that leaves us with the contingent balance of uh, 1585000 for year to date. There and a long one today, Ms. Claren. Thank you. Blame Obviously, them. these <laughs> items are ones that uh, have come before us and uh, just working through these pieces. Um, any comments or, or questions, colleagues? I'll, I'll just make one comment, and I know many of you share these feelings. <laughs> I was excited to see a number of these moving forward, uh, including the Third Ward Equity Fund for the MLK Lodge. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Cure Violence expansion to Second Ward has been mm -hmm. talked about for a long time and mm -hmm. desired by the community. Uh, and then eager to see the property uh, require or acquired over um, on Bristol for park mm -hmm. space in the First Ward. And then another item that we've talked about that we know is needed in the Third Ward, mm -hmm. and that's a a fire station so that we can improve yeah. response time. So there's a lot of great items on this uh, this list today that I'm eager to vote yes for. Yeah. Yes, I, I heard from one of our past colleagues about glad to see the uh, land acquisition on Kalamazoo. So I'm sure many other people in the audience are. So lots of good things, lots of good work, obviously working at the state level and, and other federal level to bring other dollars into the organization. I think it just shows the strength of our partnership. So. All right, hearing no other comments, all those in favor? Aye. Aye. That carries, thank you. All right, uh, next is our bid list resolution for March 28th, um, 2023. Do have a motion? So moved. Support. It's been moved and supported. Colleagues, we um, haven't been reading every single one of these, but if there's anyone that you'd like to, to ask Ms. Claren on or anything that you'd like to highlight, Ms. Claren? Uh, most of them are pretty routine in nature, so. Mm -hmm. All right. Hearing no other questions, all those in favor? Aye. That carries. Thank you. Um, next, we'll go to our uh, warrant report for um, March 1st, 2023 through March 14th, 2023. Mr. Comptroller? Uh, good morning, Mayor and Commissioners. So for the period referenced, uh, the city released cash payments totaling just under $19.8 million and includes uh, just over $5 million uh, for our employee payroll expense and approximately $444,000 for income tax warrants. Uh, it is tax season uh, in terms of quantity. Uh, we released a total of 5,165 income tax refunds and 1,245 uh, accounts payable checks. And as always, uh, the detail on the following uh, four pages contains uh, information on uh, all the checks and electronic payments exceeding the amount of uh, $20,000. And that concludes uh, the warrant report this morning. Thank you, Mr. Comptroller. Colleagues, any questions? All right, thank you. Uh, next is our treasurer's report for period of March 1, 2023 through March 14, 2023. Mr. City Treasurer. Good morning, Commissioners and, and Mayor Bliss. Um, with the report today, um, a lot has happened in the past two weeks, um, mostly around the banking uh, world and where we've had issues with SVB, Signature, Signature Bank, also, um, 
overseas with Credit Suisse and also Deutsche Bank. So we're seeing that the system's being tested right now. Um, this really wound up being a classic run on the bank. If you if you really think of uh, back to our childhoods and we watched Mary Poppins and you have enough people going and demanding their money from the bank, the, the bank doesn't have physical cash sitting there to just give out to customers. And so you see the bank shutting their windows, closing their doors, and, and they stop depo depositors from withdrawing their money. And the same thing as today, you, we don't have enough printed cash to move money in and out. But our banking system takes your deposits and they invest them. Yes, you have your, your money there in normal days, normal deposits and withdrawals. They understand what that, that movement is. In this case, SVB could not liquidate their investments without suffering significant losses in order to fulfill the withdrawal demand. And so that's, that's really mismanagement on the bank's perspective. And you'll see more of that as it keeps coming out in the news that they didn't have a risk manager and their portfolio wasn't structured correctly and they only focused on a very small segment of the business. And these are venture, venture capital firms which you know, are, are in and out of the market and most of your banks have structured their business to have so much in mortgages, so much in commercial mortgages, so much in residential, so much in auto loans. And so they have a, a really big portfolio of customers across multiple lines. And they typically don't run into these types of issues. But when one bank is only positioned in one area, something could tip them over very quickly. And that's what happened in this case. And then we're seeing the testing of everyone now. So we're all looking at that. Um, with Levi Bolt and myself, our first calls were to the three banks that we had more than $250,000 above the insurance level to make sure that they are still on sound footing, that our, our deposits are safe. And, and really, we, we weren't worried about it, but we do do the double check. So we do go out and make sure that our MacTow Bank has got a $1.9 billion facility that they can tap into should more withdrawals pop up or there's a, this type of crisis situation that happens. But we also try to move our money out as quickly as we can to put it to, to better use to invest the money. And so really our three primary accounts are for payables, for payroll, and for our general depository. Those three accounts are pretty much operational where they, the dollars churn through every single day. And so as soon as we recognize those deposits, we're able to move that out into a fund that actually is based on U.S. Treasuries. So it's not behind the FDIC insurance. It's full faith and credit of the U.S. government. So we, even then, the FDIC Treasury stood up and said, we will make sure that no depositor is harmed. And so that's happened in the past, and now we've seen what we, any type of bank situation we see is that SVB has now been sold off to another bank. And so typically you merge those banks into another stronger bank, and that way it protects the banking system in, in, in totality. Um, we do see that interest rates are still going to continue to increase. Uh, the Fed increased the rate by 0.25% last week. It was expected to be 0.5%, but it's 025 because of the crisis that's been happening. Um, with that, our portfolio is at $534 million. It's yielding 2.37%. Um, you know, as we, as we move forward into our next budget cycle and our next years coming up, year coming up, um, I'm sure I'll be having the conversation with Ms. Claren about 
you know, we've got these excess funds. Do we bond or do we use existing fund balance in various departments to actually purchase what we need to purchase or make capital improvements as opposed to bonding for it? You might be bonding for that at a 4 and 5% interest rate, yet we're only earn earning 2.37. So that, that doesn't make sense. And so we have to really look for um, value in that case, you know, just like you would do in, in, at home. Just like I had to do to buy a furnace. <laughs> what do I, do I tap into a home equity line of credit or do I use existing savings? What do I, I do to, to fund that purchase? We have to be doing the same thing here. And so that's what I, I, I think with $534 million, we've got significant funds there. And it's built up over the time that I've been treasurer and actually working for the city. It was $160 million when I started. And so we're not, now we're sitting on $534 million. So I'm always going to earn less than what we have to pay to borrow the funds. So maybe it's where's that best place to be there? Because the one thing we don't want to do is continue to push our debt limit up closer to the max limit if we have the funds to be able to spend. So I think there's got to be a unique balance there. So that's my cautionary piece going forward is that I can never invest the money at more than what you can borrow for. Thank you, Mr. City Treasurer. Colleagues, any questions? I, I had a good conversation at the so-called water cooler with Mr. Bolt about the purchase of SVB. So um, my, in, my, in my free time, I watch CNBC, you know, these, these business war things. It's, it's very fascinating, so. Um, I don't have any questions, but I love Oh, let me turn my mic on. Uh, I don't have any questions. Appreciate your work, City Treasurer. And I love that we have our former City Treasurer who just walked in, Mr. Al Mooney. Uh, it's good to see you, Al. <laughs> Hi. It's wonderful to see you. I'm sure you enjoyed this update from uh, the City Treasurer. <laughs> Would you like to provide a critique? <laughs> Al, it's wonderful to see you. It's been a while. It's nice to have our former treasurer and our current treasurer in the same room together. So. I can say I, I learned from a master. Ah, the, the powerhouse, as I call them, <laughs> the, the duo. So good to see you. Very good. Um, well, hearing nothing else, I think we can go ahead and adjourn this meeting at 8.54. Thank you. Have a good day.
it is now 9-15. Uh, community Development Committee begins at this point. We have seven resolutions this morning, so we will start with one. Resolution approving a fireworks discharge permit to FFP Effects, Inc. for indoor special effects at the Van Dander Arena in connection with the Morgan Wallen Concert event on April the 27th, 2023. So moved. Support. Go ahead, Chief. Deputy Chief. Inspector. I know. <laughs> but thanks I know, for the promotion. Inspector, I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> you're just you're standing there looking like a chief. <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, it's a rather large show. So, um, yeah, I will be down there and make sure everything's safe. And more than likely, we'll have a fire watch for it, too. Colleagues, any questions? All in favor? Aye. 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 Very good. Resolution number, thank you. Resolution number two is a resolution approving an authorization execution of an option to purchase agreement to uh, the eventual acquisition of 4040 and 4044 Cal Kalamazoo Avenue Southeast for 500000 with the total cost not to exceed 575000 in order to expand future fire safety services to the residents of Grand Rapids. Now we got the deputy chief. So moved. Support. And I'm, I'm going to start you off here, Commissioner, if that's all right. Um, as you may know, Economic Development uh, Department does support uh, other city departments and their real estate needs. And so um, in collaboration with uh, Deputy Chief Brown, uh, properties were identified to address um, what is a clear deficiency in level of service on the southeast side in the Kalamazoo District for the fire department. Um, properties were identified, none were for sale, um, and so we did have to uh, approach various owners and determine um, the interest and, and where we are at today is we do have an agreement that was voluntarily entered into with the property owners for the identified properties here. Um, I'm going to have uh, Chief Brown uh, detail out the um, improvements to the level of service that will be achieved if we can uh, move this forward today. Thank you. All Chief. right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. 14,169. That's the number of citizens that will be served by this new fire station in the first due district. 14,169 citizens are currently receiving subpar performance. We have a response time goal of getting our first unit on scene within seven minutes from the time you call 911. In this part of town, we're at 54% compliance. 54%. That is unacceptable. We have been working for close to a decade. In 2015, during our initial accreditation process, the Center for Public Safety Excellence came in and validated that we did need additional resources further in the third ward. 14% of the time at my current Kalamazoo Avenue fire station when engine four goes out, ladder four goes out. That district is now empty. So when that third call comes in, and that does happen quite a bit, I'm bringing a unit from my Burton station or my Division Avenue station all the way down to the tip of 44th Street. This, is a, this has been a plaguing problem. Um, there's never going to be a perfect site, but I can tell you that this site has the acreage, uh, the frontage, the depth, and the fire department is fully committed and prepared to working very closely with the neighborhood to ensure that we fit in with the neighborhood, 
that we're good neighbors, that we address any concerns. However, until we have something, we have nothing to talk about. So I'll turn it back over to Jono if you have anything else. Sure, and so the recommendation before you is to authorize uh, the execution of a purchase agreement um, and go through due diligence and uh, eventually acquire the property. Um, and uh, obviously in the future, there will be additional uh, items that come to you related to uh, development and funding of a fire station. That is not happening in the short term. And as Deputy Chief Brown said, that will be a, a thorough process of engagement with the community. You know, one of the things that I'm excited about is, number one, that is happening in the third ward. That's number one. Number two, it's been a decade working on this particular project from the time that you, its conception to this very point. And, Chief, you made a very good point. You've got 14,000 residents that are in favor of this. And so I think those 14,000 residents take precedence over any other type of comments that may exist. Uh, and that's my opinion on that. Um, so I think this is a good acquisition. And I'm in favor of this. So, colleagues, do you have any questions before we make a vote? Commissioner Knight. No. Commissioner, all in favor? Aye. 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 Ayes have it. Resolution number three, resolution approving uh, and authorizing execution of an option to purchase agreement for the eventual acquisition of 960 Bristol Avenue Northwest for 315,000 with a total cost not to exceed 340,000 in order to expand the city's green space inventory and potential future development of opportunities. So moved. Support. So this is a similar item that would authorize execution of a purchase agreement. Uh, we would undertake due diligence and eventually acquire this 12, uh, approximately 12 acre property on the Northwest side. Um, you may have some familiarity with some familiarity with this property. Uh, it has gone through uh, uh, several proposals for development uh, as multifamily. Um, both the Planning Commission and the Board of Zoning Appeals uh, considered proposals for this property, and neither were approved. Uh, the topography of the site does create significant challenges. It is heavily wooded uh, and has steep slopes. Um, the opportunity to acquire 12 acres of open space in the in the city is a relatively unique opportunity, which is why we are recommending this to you today. Um, we feel that the acquisition costs uh, and the potential uses um, have led us here, and, and this is a uh, positive recommendation. The, the ultimate use of the property will have to have a little bit um, more thorough evaluation. We do believe there may be opportunities to create some lots on the frontage, but there are also uh, likely to be trade-offs with uh, other other potential uses as well. So similar to the previous item, um, until we control the property, we have nothing to talk about. And so we're recommending proceeding in this fashion so that we can undertake a thorough evaluation and um, come back with a recommendation for the final use of this property. I think that the second word will be excited about the fact that this property is, is going to be used in the future for some type of development. But at the same time, if my colleague, Mr. O'Connor, was here, Commissioner, he'd be happy with the fact that there's some green space that's still existing. Colleagues, any questions? All in favor? Aye. Right. Resolution number four, resolution approving a construction agreement and accepting a public uh, utility easement for uh, Bretton Field Preserve, phase six. So moved. Support. All right. Good morning, commissioners. 
So this is for the sixth phase of a single family home subdivision located in Kentwood, consisting of 51 lots. Uh, it's north of 60th Street and about a mile and a half east of Kalamazoo. Uh, the construction agreement before you covers the uh, sanitary sewer being installed that will serve these homes and the utilities uh, easement grants the city the necessary rights to maintain that sewer. So moved. Now we're taking a vote. All in favor? Aye. Okay. Resolution number five. Uh, resolution approving a grant application in the amount of $2,184,000 uh, to the Michigan Department of Transportation to be matched with the city's shared 440000 in connection with the uh, preventative maintenance of various bridges. So moved. Support. Mr. Bergman. All right. So MDOT has issued a call for bridge projects that would receive funding in fiscal year 2026. Um, and so we're seeking your permission now to submit an application uh, for preventative maintenance on three of our bridges, which include um, the bridge at 6th Street, as well as the bridge at Wealthy Street over the Grand River, uh, and also the Michigan Street Bridge over Division Avenue. Uh, work items would consist of uh, epoxy deck overlays, some sidewalk and railing uh, repairs, as well as some painting and steel uh, repair work on portions of the 6th Street Bridge. Total grant request is $2,184,000, which would be matched uh, if successful with a city share of $440,000 or 20%. Um, and approval of this resolution would be the first step in that uh, grant application process. Colleagues, any questions? Mr. Bergman, how old are these bridges, may I ask? Oh, I'd have to go back and see, I mean, 6th Street quite some time um, but we we have asset management plans on all of our bridges and inspect them uh, annually and so I could I could let you know I just don't know offhand I'm just glad we stand on top of them so that they don't deteriorate on us exactly yeah. yes all in favor aye, aye. <laughs> resolution number six resolution accepting an easement and authorizing a payment of three hundred and ten thousand I'm sorry. Yep. For sidewalk improvements in Collindale Avenue for, uh, from Michigan, uh, from Lake Michigan Drive to Brewerett Street. That's, 300, that's $310, right? Correct. So moved. Okay, I want to go back over and make sure I didn't say 3000 I was questioning it myself. Mm -hmm. Support. All right, yes, it is $310. Um, we are in the process of developing a project that will install sidewalks along the east side of Collindale. Um, from Lake Michigan to Burritt, and then west on Burritt, uh, 350 feet um, to tie into the existing sidewalk network. There's a future project that will also install sidewalks further to the north, um, but this one is in particular is funded through a Transportation Alternatives Program grant, or a TAP grant um, through MDOT, and will be built later this construction season. To facilitate the installation, though, we need four easements from properties surrounding the Collindale uh, Burritt intersection where a roundabout was recently installed. Um, we previously acquired an easement from the property located at the southeast corner. The one that's before you today is at the northeast corner uh, at 614 Collindale Avenue. So asking for your acceptance of this easement and authorizing that payment of $310 um, coming from the Vital Streets Fund. And then we'll return to you with the two remaining easements once, uh, once we've uh, successfully negotiated those. And that is good. Um, 
Because in my mind, it was 310,000. Yes. <laughs> we can do all the sidewalks 310. That's great. <laughs> Colleagues, any questions? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Our last resolution is a resolution approving an increase with Bergman Associates, engineers, architects, surveyors, PC for additional design services for the relocation of, of city services at 201 Market Avenue in the amount of $2,152,900 with the total authorized project expenditures not to exceed $2,906,236. So moved. All right, so back in 2020, we selected Bergman as our architect for these services through an RFQ process as, as the most qualified we felt to deliver on this uh, important effort. Um, they helped us with the planning phases of uh, relocating city facilities off of 201 Market to the 1500 Scribner site, which is owned currently by the Kent County Road Commission, uh, but the city is in the process of acquiring. And uh, in, in all of this, as you know, in preparation for the anticipated amphitheater and the surrounding redevelopment opportunities uh, in and around the 201 site. Uh, specifically, the city operations that are located at 201 include public works, parks and recreation, forestry, fleet, and facilities management. And we're now at a point where we're seeking your authorization to do the full scope of, of design services to provide the final design and, and get us to construction documents uh, for bidding. Um, so specifically what that entails, uh, we'll be renovating the existing 38,000 square foot office building at Scribner, uh, also renovating the existing 72,000 square foot of garage storage, adding an expansion of 74,000 square feet for in, indoor vehicle indoor vehicle storage to that garage. Also adding a new 74,000 square foot fleet uh, service and maintenance facility. And finally adding a new 41,000 square foot refuse facility with vehicle storage, wash bay and offices. So Bergman's fee uh, for this uh, final design work is $2,152,900. The anticipated timeline overall for design is um, seven months with uh, earlier bid packages expected where we can to deliver on the office renovations and also um, work to advance order the longer lead time items that are associated with this, in particular pre-engineered metal buildings and mechanical and electrical equipment so that we can get, um, get moving on those lead times. We are also, just for your awareness, in the process of selecting a construction manager and hope to return to you either at your uh, second meeting in April or early May with a request for that authorization. So that'll be um, coming before you soon. But now I'm asking for your authorization uh, for these design services with that payment coming from the Capital Improvement Fund. Thank you, Mr. Bergman. Colleagues, any questions? All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you so thank you so much. Uh, the community development committee at this point in time it is nine thirty. We are adjourned. Six, six.
Good morning, everyone. I'm going to call this Committee of the Whole meeting to order today. Um, commissioners, just to walk through what we have before us today, we have a full agenda. Uh, we have five action items and then two briefings. Immediately after COW, I will ask us to go into executive session uh, with our city attorney down in the law library. Is that right? In 601, thank you. Room 601 to discuss two things. Uh, one is pending litigation and one is property acquisition. Uh, commissioners, we do have on our schedule a review with our city treasurer, Mr. Glubinski. I may uh, have uh, Ms. Olson work on rescheduling that because we do have public safety today as well as civil service. Uh, so I want to make sure that we have ample time. So we'll likely reschedule that. And then tonight is our commission night out. Uh, so that starts at 5 p.m. over at GRPS University. Uh, we'll take some time to get started. We'll break out into small groups, give folks a chance to have some conversations in small group. We'll come back together at 7 uh, for our, our business uh, portion of the meeting. couple changes in our evening meeting. We'll have one opportunity for public comment at the beginning. So we'll combine the agenda items and regular comments. But then we have a number of scheduled public hearings, and I anticipate we'll get a a lot of feedback during those scheduled public hearings tonight. So that again will be at GRPS University and that is the lineup for our day. So with that, uh, we will get started and get through these five action items and then we have two important briefings, one on the International Fire Code update as well as uh, update from our Office of Public Oversight and Accountability. All right, any questions commissioners? Okay, we'll get started with the first one. Our first resolution before us today is a, resolu a resolution approving the request from HG Grand Rapids uh, for a Class C liquor license, and this is located at 5544th Street, which is uh, at our international airport. Can I get a motion? So moved. Support. support. All right, moved and supported. Uh, City Clerk, anything to add, or you want me to add on this? I'm familiar with the request. No, uh, just quickly, so this is inside the airport. It says post-security, but I think it's actually pre-security. It is. So this is um, the space uh, before you get to TSA security. So for folks who are waiting, there will be some additional opportunities for them to gather and wait uh, and have access to a drink if they so choose. All right, any questions or comments? All right, all those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? It carries. All right, next is a resolution recommending approval by the Michigan Liquor Control Commission uh, of a social district permit application pursuant to Public Act 124 of 2020 for Adams Mixology uh, and Drip Drop Cocktail Room, which is located at 445 Bridge Street Northwest. Can I get a motion? So moved. Support. All right, moved and supported. Commissioners, any additional questions or comments? All right, all those in favor say aye. Aye. Those opposed? It carries. All right, next that will take us to a resolution approving an amendment to an industrial facilities exemption certificate. And this is for Blackmer, which is located at 1809 Century Avenue Southwest. Uh, can I get a motion? So moved. Support. Support. All right, moved and supported. We did have a public hearing related to this item at our last commission meeting. Uh, it's a growing company, a, a really important company over there on Century in the first ward. Uh, Mr. Kluster, anything to add? Nope, uh, nothing significant, Mayor. Uh, good morning, Mayor and Commissioners. It's just uh, an amendment to a certificate that was previously approved. This is not something you see very commonly, but because of the delays to the project resulting from supply chain issues and the increased cost, um, the recommendation and the final approval uh, here today would be an amendment to the certificate to allow for the increased cost and to extend the duration for one year. Great, thanks. Commissioners, any questions or comments? None. 
All right. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Those opposed, it carries. All right, next that will take us to a recommendation of the Downtown Improvement District Board and a resolution to set a public hearing for April 25th for the necessity of a special assessment roll, and this is assessment roll 8780. Can I get a motion? So moved. Support. All right, moved and supported. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Klooster can start us off here, and then we have Mr. Kelly from uh, the DDA in downtown Grand Rapids, Inc., and Mr. Melvin as well, and I see Mr. Mark Miller in the in the room as well. Uh, Mr. Klooster? Yeah, I am just simply here to introduce our partners uh, since this memo comes through the Economic Development Office, so Tim Kelly, President and CEO of downtown Grand Rapids, Inc. All right, thank you. Welcome, Mr. Kelly. Good morning, Mayor, Commissioners. Thank you, Jono, for the introduction. Um, as the Mayor stated and um, Jono alluded to, this is uh, just a request to uh, approve the resolution establishing April 25th uh, as the date for the public hearing of necessity on the Downtown Improvement District. Um, that, um, that recommendation comes to you from both the Downtown Improvement District Board as well as the steering committee that we have worked with. Um, recommendation, uh, full recommendation was included in the plan that was in your packet. Um, but essentially what we're looking at is a three-year authorization period for the DID, um, as well as um, some slight increases to cover increasing costs. Increasing costs, excuse me. Um, so with your approval this morning, um, that would set the public hearing date um, and notices would go out um, in accordance with state law. With that, happy to take any questions. Great, thank you. Commissioners, any questions or comments? Uh, City Manager? Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Mr. Kelly, for uh, being here. And uh, we appreciate the work of the uh, did. I want to also just affirm that this proposed um, increase also allows for additional uh, security that's non-sworn to help with some of the issues that people have been expressing here in downtown. Yep. Yeah, that has been part of the conversation with that board as well as some of our, the, the other boards that we work with through DJI. Great. Thank you. Commissioners, any additional questions? So uh, we'll, uh, the process is, if you aren't familiar with the process, uh, similar to other processes with CIAs, we'll set a public hearing. We'll have the public hearing. It'll come back before us. We'll have an opportunity to hear from individuals, both within in the district. And then if we have additional questions for DGRI, we are welcome to ask those at the time. Uh, and then it'll come back to us at a later date after the public hearing. All right. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed? It carries. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, and that will take us to our fifth resolution today, and this is a resolution revising the existing downtown Grand Rapids Social District to add four locations to a common area. Can I get a motion? So moved. Support. Moved and supported. We have Mr. Canfield here, uh, and this is why Mr. Miller is here, to add some additional information <laughs> related to this item. So we'll start with Mr. Canfield, see if we have any questions, and then Mr. Miller, if you want to add anything, you're welcome to. All right. Uh, good morning, Mayor and Commissioners. Uh, so this resolution would uh, amend or revise the existing downtown social district, which is our largest social district, and it was the first one established back in 2020 under new state legislation. This is uh, what allows for the uh, ability to purchase a to-go alcoholic beverage from a participating business, and then the customer can carry that out into a commons area in the district and consume that beverage there. Um, so uh, this would add, as uh, was noted, four locations to the um, commons area. They are relatively small, and I'm going to let uh, Mr. Miller, the Managing Director of Planning and Design at DGRI, explain the rationale for each. 
um, but the additions would be uh, Summer Avenue from Bridge to Douglas, the futsal court and bike polo area that is along Seward, uh, a portion, the city-owned portion of Anabowan Park and Calder Plaza. The last two are re-ads. They were part of the district and then they were removed because that was necessary to allow nonprofit uh, events to sell alcohol there and that is no longer necessary under state law. So the, the uh, resolution would re-add those and then the first two are new and you can see uh, the additions on page one of the attached map which is on page 27 of the packet and I'll now turn this over briefly to Mr. Miller. Great, thanks. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Ms. Mayor and Commissioners. Um, so I guess Lou did a really good job of explaining our changes. Uh, the two that maybe need a little bit more explanation are the uh, area, <coughs> excuse me, the area on Seward uh, that has both the futsal courts and the, um, the, the bike facility that's temporarily there. So those, that area basically goes down sewered into the, the parking lots that are there and we're using that to allow people to move from like Bridge Street down into that area with their drinks. So it's just a natural progression of the way that that activation has occurred. And then the other one is just a really small segment south of Bridge Street on summer and that is for an anticipated uh, business that's under construction right now or rehabilitation right now. Uh, that the Reinhardt brothers are doing and that is anticipated to be open in August. So we're just making a, a concerted effort to get this thing up and running for them as they get their operation going. So I'm happy to take any further questions about those areas. Great, thank you. Commissioners, any questions or comments? All right, seeing none, I'll call the question. All those in favor say aye. 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 Those opposed, it carries, thank you. All right, commissioners, I think before we move to the briefings, I would like to uh, make the motion to go into executive session. Again, this would be right after we are done here at COW and we'll go down to room 601. Can I get a motion to go into executive session for two items? One is property acquisition and one is pending litigation. So moved. Support. All right, moved and supported. This is a roll call vote. Uh, Commissioner Perdue? Yeah. Commissioner Sassi? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Moody? Yes. Commissioner Robbins? Yes. And Commissioner Knight? Yes. And I am a yes. All right. Uh, so we'll see you down there right after COW. And that will now take us to our two briefings that we have before us today. Uh, I think I'll turn them over to the city manager. One, as I said, is on the International Fire Code. And the second one is an update from our OPA office. City manager? Thank, thank you, Mayor and Commissioners. Um, we're here today to provide an update on the International Fire Code. Unfortunately, Chief Lehman is unable to join us, but his uh, highly qualified team is here, and uh, Deputy Chief uh, Brad Brown will be leading us in the presentation. But as you hear it, I want to uh, you to hear it with, we're not asking for any action today. There's no vote, uh, but we do want to make you aware of some of the changes that are in need of consideration by this body and is being recommended by our fire marshal. And we have several options uh, towards the end of the presentation to discuss uh, what those changes are in implementation uh, strategies. And so with that, I'll ask uh, Chief Brown to come and provide the overview. And if you can hold your questions to the end, uh, we'll be happy to, to uh, discuss your questions and, and concerns. Chief. All right, good morning, everyone. 
So a city manager mentioned uh, we're not asking to adopt this today. It's simply informational in nature. Uh, before we get started, I just want to point out our fire marshal has been with the city of Grand Rapids for 32 years. This will be his last code adoption. I uh, just wanted to recognize all his work in keeping our city safe. Uh, we also have Inspector Roy Legrone with us, who really did a, a tremendous amount of work researching the codes to bring this uh, to you today. So every three years, IFC uh, publishes a new fire code. Generally, we adopt about on a four or five year schedule. We let the new code come out, we let it sit for a little bit, we conduct our research, we see how it's gonna impact the community and the businesses, and then we bring forward uh, recommendations to the body. Uh, the fire marshal did review all the changes, and there's an important note here, and it's highlighted. New construction follows the Michigan Building Code, which supersedes the fire code. So we're several versions ahead of the Michigan Building Code. So I just want to point that out. That's important for new construction and developers to note. Construction safety. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this across the country, but you can very easily go from a small fire to a conflagration in large buildings under construction without fire protection. So the new code now requires fire watch, uh, anything over 40 foot or 50,000 square feet. So an example would be a large building downtown until it's fully sprinklered and protected would be required to have someone on site 24 hours a day providing fire watch for that building. That provides early notification to my department and helps us keep emergencies very small and not spread to adjacent occupancies. We do have some retroactive things that I'd like to point out today. Uh, this one was actually adopted when we went with the 2012 code and we gave businesses 10 years to comply with this. So there is photoluminescent tape required on stairs in high-rise occupancies. This is so when the power is out or during a fire, you can still find your way to the exit. Many of our hotels and high-rises in the area are compliant with this at this time, but we still have some that are not. And so I just wanted everyone to be aware that the fire marshal will be following up in the near future on those buildings that are non-compliant and reaching out to get a, a good date on when this work will be finished. Uh, we don't see this as a, as a big issue, but we just wanted you to be aware that the sunset date from something we decided a decade ago is upon us. <clears throat> this is where we're going to have some more discussion. Um, this was originally added to the 2018 International Fire Code. If a building meets three criteria, it's required to have a fire suppression system in existing buildings. Those three criteria are an assembly occupancy, consumption of alcohol, and a capacity of greater than 300 people. Now, when we take that step back, think about our community and think about what buildings that that requirement is going to impact. And we're, we're, like I said, we're gonna discuss that further towards the end, but these are the halls and a lot of nonprofits. The potential cost is, uh, is quite significant. So if you're looking at a building cost, per building cost, 50 to 75 grand is a starting point but once you get into retrofits and hooking up to city water, it very easily could be $150,000 to $200,000. And so I just want to be very clear up front, 
that we have about a dozen to 15 buildings in our community that this would impact and they would incur significant costs to come within this standard. Finally, we do have a few hotels and motels uh, that would be required to install a fire alarm system. The cost of this would be approximately thirty dollars to $50,000, and this ensures early notification, again, to my department in the event of an emergency to hopefully keep the fire to one room rather than spreading to the entire structure. Chief Lehman is not here today, so I'm going to channel him. <laughs> and I usually try not to read slides, but this is very important, and I want to I capture his words uh, perfectly. As your fire chief, John Lehman, I must recommend adoption as written, but do appreciate their significant impacts to historical institutions in our community. Our overall goal is to ensure as safe an occupancy as possible if there is not an appetite for total adoption. So the recommendation from the fire department, you've charged us with providing public safety to this community. It's to adopt the code as written. We would educate impacted businesses. We would start enforcing later this year. And then we would work with impacted buildings to go up to three years. And we'd even be willing to go four years if needed to get that new um, retroactive equipment in place before the next fire code is adopted. That's really the time frame we're looking at. Possible alternatives. We could adopt the code as written, but we could lower capacities for affected businesses to 299 people on a daily basis rather than that 300. That's the, th that's the threshold. A few times a year when we have special events, we can go out and do an inspection, assign fire watch and crowd managers, and feel reasonably safe that those structures are safe for our community. And that's something that uh, we would be willing to consider if the appetite is not, not there for full adoption. That's all I have. Um, the subject matter experts are behind me, so if you have any questions. Mayor, before we conclude, um, I'm going to ask Chief Brown if you can clarify, if we were to lower uh, the capacity limit to 299, how many businesses would be affected by that? Uh, I think, Roy, or Doc, you did the research. Uh, a, good, a good portion of them, I don't have the exact, but a good portion of those 15 or so businesses, we would be able to lower to 299 and avoid the retroactive requirement. So right. it's, it's, it's the majority. I thought, I remember number less than three or so would not be in compliance if we were to lower to 299. Is that about right? Yeah. Two. 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 Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, City Manager. Well, I'll, I'll see if there's any questions. I'll just, I'll start. Uh, I've, I've been a part of this conversation in the past, and uh, I still feel very similarly uh, in that I'm concerned with some of these changes and the impact that they would have on our halls and nonprofits and historic buildings. Uh, so I still have that concern. I anticipate we'll hear from some of those folks again, as we have in the past. Um, so I appreciate you providing a potential alternative. And I would like additional information, uh, as well as uh, maybe a little, a little bit more detail on the list of who would be impacted uh, and what their current capacity is. 
Um, I don't know if some of these uh, facilities have a capacity of 500 or 600 and what the impact would be to lower that by whatever percentage. Um, so that would be helpful as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, commissioners, any questions or comments? Uh, I'll start with Commissioner Moody and then Commissioner Robbins. Yeah. Thank you, Chief, uh, Deputy Chief, for this report. I wanted to ask that uh, it's good to know that after three years that you are allowing the companies to be in compliance, but after those three years, what is the penalty for not compliance? Come on up, Fire Marshal. Um, so, uh, uh, good morning. Uh, thank you for, for having us here. Um, uh, violation just, state, like, just state your name for the, the record. There's media here. Eric Doctor, uh, Fire Marshal. Yeah. I, I felt like everyone <laughs> knows Mr. Doctor. Uh, possibly not. Uh, <laughs> True. Good point, City Manager. Um, so, uh, a, uh, if a, if a assembly is out of compliance with the fire code, it's technically uh, a civil infraction. Uh, offense, and uh, and and uh, if assemblies or businesses do not come into compliance, uh, we typically take the uh, path of uh, shuttering them until they do. Uh, so yes, it's it's uh, in order to be fair across the board. That is our our typical process. Okay, I was just uh, interested in that because it's not stated here, which doesn't really have to be. Right. But I do think that those businesses who are going to be in compliance or who are going to look at the public safety for their buildings to be protected in reference to the case that there is a fire, that they need to have the importance of understanding that there is some penalties that do exist if they don't comply. Good point, Commissioner. And I, I think that was the concern last time that for some of these organizations that can't afford these this level of upgrade, that essentially if they're not in compliance, they could be shut down altogether. Uh, and I know that we have still have a lot of halls that fall under that. So, yeah. Yeah, Commissioner Robbins. Yes, thank you, Mayor. Um, just curious, with the organizations that will be most impacted by this, is it? I mean, like multiple times per year that they would have to seek. Um, like the the special event type permit if we went with an alternative or are these organizations that consistently are over 300 occupancy i know we would want to uh to not have that happen all that often but on the other hand we're flexible and and our interest is to serve the community so uh for those uh major fundraising events uh that they might have uh, those, those would be the times. Uh, I don't think that we would necessarily put a limit on how many times they could do that. Right. Annually, there is there's some cost involved with doing it on on a per event basis. So, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Commissioner. Um, and I think this probably has been talked about before. The, the obviously the cost would be a huge impact on smaller nonprofits that you know are struggling to cover payroll let alone infrastructure um and a change that huge what is the difference in the cost in the other alternative that you can um talked about it having someone on site um if they had events um over that size i mean a lot of nonprofits i know they typically don't have a lot of events in there but the halls do um and and what is the the cost in having someone on site managing that 
every time they had an event. So we anticipate, and, and the fire code provides for uh, trained personnel within the community or within the business okay. to, uh, to be able to perform those functions. So as far as, uh, as the cost, they would, they would have to train their volunteers. And uh, I think the uh, Fire Prevention Bureau Division would be willing to conduct some of those trainings over the course of the years or once a year or periodically at least. So um, with, with that uh, change that we're uh, proposing as a possible alternative to adopting the code as is, um, the, the cost would be, of course, them lowering their capacity for those times that they don't have special permission to do, uh, to return to their original uh, capacity. But other than that, I don't anticipate a huge cost uh, on, a, on a daily basis. Okay, thank you. Thank you. All right, any other questions? Uh, Commissioner? Thank you, Mayor. Um, thanks for the presentation. So I, I just wanted to make sure I heard um, Deputy Chief, you correctly, you had talked about some of the changes that you would give people three years or four years to be in right. compliance. And then I looked at the piece with the stairways. They had 10 years. Is What's, what, what's the decision-making process and the length of time that you utilize for that? Uh, I'm afraid I was not in this position <laughs> 10 years ago. 32 so. years ago? Okay. <laughs> So uh, I'm not exactly sure okay. about the uh, uh, the reasoning. I believe that was a new provision, and so the the cost was not really kind of even known how much that would cost for each billing to put in. I believe that that was why the 10 years were, was given mm -hmm. so that the industry could mature and that the cost would would stabilize. Okay, thank you. But don't quote me. Okay. I, I, too, would be interested, Mayor, in a list of the, you know, the organizations and where they fall geographically as it relates to all of our wards. And then, um, you know, I think it would also just be, um, yeah, I, I, as somebody who runs a smaller nonprofit, you know, um, those are certainly considerations. And so I appreciate, I would say if, you know, if it's, you have one thing, and you know that folks might have concerns about it, provide an alternative, so I appreciate that. Um, I think that's very proactive. Um, and I also am wondering, too, as you go into this compliance period for the illumination, I'm also interested to see how that process goes, because we'll kind of see it fully as we look forward for this new code. So thank yeah. you. Yeah, good questions. All right, any final questions or comments? All right. Thank you all. It's Mayor. good to see you, uh, City Manager. Yeah, I'm gonna don't don't leave yet. I'm gonna need um, some more clarification on direction for <clears throat> for moving forward, so that we're we're clear. So, if I could, um, I heard concerns about cost and impact, and we certainly can bring that uh, back. I think the chief is wanting to prioritize this ordinance moving forward because even though it's starting to fall, there are things we would have to do in terms of drafting hearings, et cetera. But it seems to me like we uh, have some more work that can be done and I'm happy to work with the public safety committee in working through that before we bring the item back and following up with them. Certainly getting the list of um, impacted um, businesses, but I think that would be 
good if we're going to work through some of these concerns uh, and not do it as, as a whole. Yeah, I, I, um, I'll just share my, my opinion. I, I'm not comfortable moving forward with this at this time until we have additional information. Okay. Uh, and so I think if we can start with that so that we have a sense of who is impacted, what their current capacity is, what the cost would be, what is an alternative, what would that alternative cost them, uh, that would be helpful to me. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and we can get that. I think we have general numbers. I know we have the specifics, but we'll certainly provide that with the Public Safety Committee. What I'm also hearing in terms of just the most significant changes is the fire suppression system. The construction watch manager, if we were to prioritize what is in the best interest of public safety and not um, an increased cost to businesses, particularly on these constructions that are over uh, 40 feet or 50,000 square feet, if we wanted to make, if you will, low-hanging fruit changes, would you agree that's probably the one that we should make with all the construction that's going on without delaying everything else? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. Additionally, most uh, construction projects do have 24-hour, uh, you know, security on site, and and so it'd just be a matter of uh, training them on fire watch procedures, in in other words. The, the kind of timing that they'd have to have for the rotation. So, okay. I, I city manager, I think for that one too, though, it'd be good for us to know the impact, especially as we try to support smaller scale infill projects with with smaller developers uh, and business owners. So, I think even on that one, what would be good, at least for me, to fully understand and appreciate is the cost to those potential developments. Uh, we know right now it's hard to make the numbers work already, and if they need 24-7 security on smaller projects, I would like to know the impact that that has on those, those okay. businesses. I don't know what the cost would be for 24-7, um, and so it would be good just for us to fully understand that. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly get that, but I think it's the same provision that we were talking about the halls, that you allow the organizations to train their own staff internally to be able to provide that service, right? Correct. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Appreciate you. All right. That will take us to our next update today, and that is an update from the Office of Oversight and Public Accountability uh, regarding operational policies and programs. Hello, Mr. Davis. Uh, City Manager, you want to kick this off, or do you want Mr. Davis to just take it away? Take it away. All right. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you all for the opportunity to provide this update. We are excited today to talk about several things that have been going on in the Office of Oversight and Public Accountability. Today we will talk about OPA's uh, completed policy. We'll also talk through some of the programs that we've been working on, including um, our immigrant and refugee engagement work. Uh, we'll also hear from the Office of Equity and Engagement through Ms. Sout, uh, related to some of the work that that office is doing as well. Um, so we'll talk about Project Clean Slate, our community-informed law enforcement training, uh, get through our I Am The Dream Civil Rights Youth Academy, Know Your Rights, the Welcome Plan, and then some data-driven initiatives. So just as a way of a reminder, OPA's mission is that through targeted change, accountability, restorative justice, empowerment, and engagement, we'll help create and improve just outcomes and respectful relationships between public safety and community. 
But we do that through the lens of our values. Uh, and we always lead with the city's values, but in addition to those cities values, we, we lead with true justice. And that means that we believe in transparency. We're always being upfront and honest about what we do and what we say. We also believe that it's important uh, that we lead with responsibility. That's being accountable and considering the big picture um, as we do our work. We also believe in unity, right? We're working to build bridges uh, between public safety and community, but we lead with equity. And we're always advancing just outcomes and opportunities by leading with racial equity to address the root causes of disparities. Finally, we're, we're interested in justice, and that means we're always operating with integrity and doing the right thing. So with that in mind, it was important that we uh, continue to work to develop OPA's policy. And, and the truth is, that really began back in 2019, right? So we started the work of, of building out a policy that would guide the work of our office by hosting community work group sessions. And those sessions included uh, representation from community members, organizations, and city staff. And when we say city staff, that's people in, in multiple departments, including the police department and the fire department. Uh, but since that time, there's been a lot of iteration as it relates to uh, the policy work of OPA. Um, and, and, and some of that is due to the fact that we had collective bargaining between the city um, and our public safety departments. And recently, as a result of that, we had clarifications to grants of authorities that, that were provided to OPA and also clarification to our jurisdiction. At this point, the city has reached bargaining agreements with uh, the, the fire department union as well as the uh, police officers association. We've yet to reach an agreement with the Grand Rapids Police Command Officers Association. So our new policy reflects uh, the language in the agreements with both the fire department and uh, the police officers association. Now, in addition uh, to all of the training and the books and administrative documents we looked at, we really spent some time looking across the country at what oversight offices do and how their policies look. It's important to note that we are the first office of this kind in the state of Michigan. So we're really building new ground as it relates to what a policy should look like, how it operates uh, and along with the laws and rules of the state of Michigan. So now we do have that formalized policy. It formalized our uh, authority, our jurisdiction, and the oversight functions of OPA. Um, it also talks about how we interact with GRPD as well as the fire department and our role with the Civilian Appeals Board. It provides an analytical framework for auditing internal affairs investigations and for auditing officer-involved shootings. It establishes the framework for conducting supplemental investigations for the Civilian Appeals Board, provides an overview of our community engagement activities and data-driven initiatives, and uh, it talks about the interdepartmental information management and records policies. So that policy is now available, or should be today available if it hasn't uploaded yet, uh, available on OPA's webpage, which can be found by going to the city's page and simply searching OPA. So in addition to our policy work, we're excited about our programming work. This is our second year with Project Clean Slate. And Project Clean Slate was uh, amazingly successful last year. We were able to help over 500 people in community. And that's in addition to the other work that was done by community partners that we were able to support. But the city uh, was able to um, assist over 500 people in navigating the criminal expungement process. And this gave them the opportunity to do things like get stable housing 
housing, to find employment. Um, I, I'm often reminded of a conversation I had at the expungement event with a, a lady who was sitting across from me. Um, and she came in, I think she was unaware that she was eligible for an expungement. So she sat down, we ran a record, and I told her, I said, well, you're eligible for an expungement. And she started bawling, uh, full tears. She said, for the first time, I think I'm going to be able to adequately take care of my children. Uh, it was a life-changing moment for her. And that's the work we're doing. And we're proud to do it. Again, this year, our expungement fair will be held May 13th. Uh, this year, it'll be at the Croc Center. It'll be from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. We are soliciting volunteers again. Last year, we would not have been able to do the event with all, without all of the amazing volunteers and, and collaboration we have from other departments. So we're looking for general volunteers that can just help uh, with logistics. We need notaries again, and we're also seeking attorneys. So in order to uh, volunteer, um, individuals can again go to our webpage on the city site, click on that Project Clean Slate tab, and fill out the volunteer information. Uh, we do have a volunteer training, so you don't have to be an expert in any of these areas to do the work, uh, but we'll make sure that you have the tools necessary to do it. It's also important that we note that um, there's an automatic expungement provision that is happening in the law, so some things will automatically be expunged, and we're definitely excited about that as well. So this year's event is happening. Uh, you may remember that last year's event happened in April, uh, but this year's event is happening in May uh, in order to give us the opportunity to go through that automatic expungement time period before people come to the program. In addition to uh, the expungement event, or along with it, the Jars Cannabis Company came to OPA and said, we want to do a felon-friendly job fair as part of this event. We recognize that you know some people are coming in and they just don't have stable employment, and we think this is the way we can give back to community. So we're working in conjunction with this organization to, to do this social equity job fair. There will be multiple felon-friendly employers from uh, inside and outside of the cannabis industry that will be present, uh, and, and they're looking forward to hiring members of our community. There's also a job readiness training that will be offered as well. So if members of community are interested in participating in that job fair, they can just show up. Um, but you can also get the training you need ahead of time to be more competitive. And again, how do we get that? Go to OPA's webpage and we'll get you all the information regarding it. So in addition to uh, Project Clean Slate, we also have our community-informed law enforcement training. And uh, commissioners, you may remember that this was an initiative that was supported in our last budget cycle. And uh, the way this uh, program works is a, a joint initiative between OPA and our public safety departments. The idea behind this is that we solicit community ideas and proposals uh, for police trainings. We know that we've heard from community uh, at many different times saying these are the types of trainings we want to see or we want to uh, we want our voices elevated in this process, and this training, this program does exactly that. It solicits ideas and proposals from community on a rolling basis. Uh, now, pr uh, preference will be given to ideas that align around our values, right? That true justice values, and also our strategic programming related to Care Plus, that change, accountability, restorative justice, engagement, and empowerment. But a team of individuals from OPA, the Office of Equity and Engagement, and the training unit will sit down and review every proposal that that is submitted from community uh, to evaluate a couple of things, right? And the major thing we're looking at is does it meet the program objectives? Those objectives are to train. We're looking to train public safety to understand community concerns and increase cultural competency. We're also looking to repair bridges of trust between public safety and the community it serves. 
We're looking to amplify the community's voice and role in policing and to increase the respect and understanding of marginalized groups. Additionally, we're uh, hoping to normalize positive interactions between public safety and community. So as we evaluate um, these policies or, or these programs that are coming forward, that's what we'll be looking for. So what are we asking for from community? We're asking community to submit ideas or proposals to OPA for this training. Now we recognize that community may just have a, a one sentence idea or maybe they, they may have a fully vetted out uh, training that they're ready to do. Whatever stage it's in, we're, we're happy to have it and help them navigate that process. So we'll connect with them regarding that. We'll have a proposal review meeting and we'll assist in developing and uh, working out the implementation of that training. OPA will then review those proposals, we'll prioritize it, conduct the review meetings, and we'll work with our public safety departments at OEE to develop and implement those trainings. All right, that takes us to the next program. We've been working. So the next program that we're talking about today is the I Am The Dream Civil Rights Youth Academy. And I'm extremely excited about this program. This is a civic engagement program that is designed to equip middle school scholars with the knowledge and skills necessary to become civic leaders, to become future commissioners, to become police officers, to work in our fire department. We're uh, hosting eight weekly sessions with these scholars, and we've built a curriculum that will allow them to learn their rights and responsibilities, understand uh, what it's like to engage civically, um, and our goal is to inspire them to become leaders, to allow them to discover their own voices, to provide that skill building necessary through hands-on projects and activities, to teach them how to interact with law enforcement, and also create that operational, uh, occupational awareness within our criminal justice system. We know that we need pathways uh, to have, uh, diver if we want diverse departments, we have to create pathways now uh, so that we can continue to move forward that way. So. Our target audience and selection process is middle school students in the city of Grand Rapids. We're looking at ages 11 to 14. Uh, for this first uh, pilot version of this, we'll do uh, 40, up to 40 individuals will be allowed to participate. And we are starting in the third war, recognizing that uh, traditionally and historically, this has been a disenfranchised area of our city. So we want to make sure that we put that investment there. So we are, are partnering with Alger, Burton, uh, Gerald Ford, River City Scholars, and MOK leadership academy uh, here you'll see a few of the sessions and for the interest of time i won't read all of them uh, but it is available again and will be available on our webpage. but you see we start with just some background information a, a review of the history of policing we talk about their rights and responsibilities then we get to the exciting part at the end of it they'll get to apply all of that knowledge through a mock trial process and see what it's like to participate in the criminal justice system in that way so in order to participate, uh, we're asking our, uh, our scholars to submit an essay, just explaining what does the dream mean to them, recognizing that everybody's at a different level. If they don't want to do an essay, they can do a video. Uh, they could do, uh, basically, if they get it to us, we got it, right? So we have different opportunities for them to submit it, but they can submit a one to two minute video or audio submission in lieu of writing those paragraphs. And we have a, a few places where those applications are made available. Uh, one of the exciting things about this program is through participation, uh, those scholars will also get a membership to the Boys and Girls Club. So we're excited about that partnership. Uh, session one is scheduled for June 1st, so the applications are available today, and we're asking that you spread the word and, and help our young scholars uh, become a part of this program. At this time, I will turn it over to Ms. Stout, who will take us further. 
Thank you, uh, Mr. Davis, and thank you for the work that you're doing. If this was a clapping situation, I would clap for you right now. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. In, in, inside, they're just cheering. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, Stacy Style, Office of Equity and Engagement, excited to be with you today. So, um, and thank you to Mr. Davis for inviting me to join in in his uh, presentation around the work that we're doing with immigrant and refugee communities, also known as New Americans. Um, so the Welcome Plan, if you're familiar with it, is a critical component of the City of Grand Rapids' broader strategy to make our organization and the broader city more inclusive and equitable. Becoming a welcoming community both in culture and policy is key to embracing immigrants and our longtime residents. And as you know, welcoming is a key part of our mission and um, squarely aligned with our, our value around equity. So we have a snapshot. This is not all inclusive of all data, um, but just to kind of give you an essence of our community, roughly about 11% of Grand Rapids population is born abroad. Um, in comparison with the county, about 8.3%. So Grand Rapids is home to approximately 41% of the county's population who are considered foreign-born, and that's a term by the census. In um, the local city with the largest, as far as percentage, is our neighbor uh, of Kentwood. And as you can see, that also translates into school populations um, by districts with the largest counts of immigrant students, with us uh, Grand Rapids Public Schools being second. Countries of origin, um, according to the American Community Survey, um, by far um, those from, from Mexico, followed by Vietnam, and then Guatemala. So looking back, for those that are familiar, uh, just kind of to review, this journey started in 2017. We were part of a collaborative that was awarded a research grant with Gateways for Growth. Um, and through that, we were able to work and create the Demographics and Economic Impact Report. This is an economic snapshot, but as we, we often talk about in our office, that one's you know, ability to contribute to the economy or capitalism you know, is just a part. It's, it's not their whole worth. And so we really struggled with how that was framed. But we're excited um, about that report, and it generated a lot of support, uh, which um, at the launch parties of, that re of those two reports, of those two sessions. And then... Later in 2019, we awarded another grant for technical assistance and strategic planning, and then we dove deep to do engagement. We had um, just dozens and dozens of focus groups, hundreds of surveys, and then we were able to work those um, that voice of immigrant and refugees into recommendations that were um, categorized by themes, which then we released in our welcome plan in September of 2020. So the intersection of the welcome plan and the city strategic plan is squarely along equity and community. So that's the intersection of our word cloud. And then on the right, you'll see um, this diagram. Uh, the, in the darker color, the welcome plan, their categories of recommendations. And on the right is a city strategic plan. And you can see there's a direct alignment there. So quick updates from the work groups. Um, the general theme of work groups for the welcome plan is really around learning. What's the data? What are other people doing? Some, some landscape uh, mapping. What are the policies when it comes to new Americans, whether it's with education or immigration? And so the Safe and Connected Communities work group uh, recently had a Q&A with Puertas Abiertas to connect the community with the Sheriff's Department, Kent County Prosecutor, DRPD, Wyoming PD, issues related to domestic violence and human trafficking. And so that's um, one of the updates and a photo there of a news coverage. And then, of course, we have city representatives on this work group. Ooh, that must be out of order. 
Okay, well, we're just go right to the steering committee then. <laughs> um, so the steering committee, and I would like um, our new welcome plan coordinator, Holland De La Cruz, to please stand, just so they know who you are, Holland. This is Holland. And then also Sierra Hatfield from our office, who I didn't tell to stand, but there you go. <laughs> she works with me on the steering committee, of course, with Kent County, Samaritas, the Hispanic Chamber, Grand Rapids Chamber. But we also expanded the steering committee recently to uh, increase those with lived experience. So we have um, Umendi and also Dilly uh, got them from the Bhutanese community. So we meet quite often, at least once a month, but also as needed to help steer and support the welcome plan as needed. So additional work group updates. Um, so again, survey data, the data metrics, trying to get what is already happening out in community, what organizations are interested in being involved. Um, the Equitable Access Group is doing a service scan and also uh, connecting with the Department of Justice to host information sessions on language access. Very proud that our city also is about to finalize our language access policy. The Improve Educational Outgroup outcomes work group is also connecting with the Department of Ed to again to understand these policies and so once they understand the system they're better able to navigate it. The maximize economic potential um, are exploring models right now to connect immigrant and refugee populations to workforce opportunities. There's a funding group to keep this moving so creating a development plan and also begin tracking past support as we continue to want to invest in this work across the county. And then engaged communities work group, um, really assessing different contact lists um, to help spread the information and making sure that we're using culturally responsive communication channels to get information out there about resources. Also recently um, connected with Global Michigan and other community partners to seek understanding, prepare an educational resource for broad distribution around child labor exploitation. So we worked in partnership with several partners. We're also um, preparing for welcoming week, and those are the dates, so be prepared for that, Mayor, as we do another proclamation, but also do um, educational um, and celebratory type um, events across the city. And then um, representatives from my office and also OPA will be going to Welcoming Interactive. Through our membership, we did have free registrations there to help bring that learning back to our organization. Again, Holland De La Cruz is our welcome plan coordinator with several links that we can get you. So from our, just a snapshot of what we're doing, of course, steering committee, uh, we also, our office launched the Welcome GR Learning City, uh, Welcome GR Learning Series for city staff, um, specific around the welcome plan recommendations and local happenings. Welcome Week Proclamation, which I mentioned. This summer, I'm very excited to partner with the African Collaborative Network for City Staff Training. That's full immersion. So it's, it's 101, 201, and then ending with an immersion experience with different immigrant populations. And we're going to begin um, with the African um, population. Intentional outreach and inclusion for the Neighborhood Summit. So examples of past workshops are shown here. And we're currently in the process of accepting workshops as well and doing some focused outreach there as well. We've had intentional partnership with our MLBE program, Micro Local Business Enterprise Program, with Hispanic Chamber, the West Michigan Asian American Association, um, GRAB, and others to help diversify both um, the MLBE program. And then of course, a significant funder and supporter of the Lucha Fund for those that did not receive a very critical um, support during um, COVID. 
we're finalizing a contract with Glimpse of Africa. Actually, we have the contract. We're finalizing that to get a report on best um, promising practices of um, engagement. Like I said, the access policy, excited to kick that off. And the work that we've been doing around the river, we just uh, finalized the equity framework for the river. And then, of course, our office has been doing BIPOC engagement plan uh, for quite some time that is inclusive of immigrant voice. Um, Sierra Hatfield, who is also with the Welcome Plan, is creating tools department-wide, which will include immigrant refugees as far as language and other um, groups to make sure that we are being um, very intentional as we create policy and practice here. The CRC continues to reinvent itself. I'm very excited. They just have a subcommittee as we restructure around the Welcome Plan and being welcoming. Of course, our partnership with OPA and our sponsorships trying to be more intentional. And lastly, I just wanted to give you some examples of the Neighborhood Match Fund. We will be accepting proposals again in June. For those watching, you want to go to our website, Neighborhood Match Fund. And here's some examples, whether it's wellness workshops we've done or celebrating International Women's Day um, for Latina immigrants, Puertas Abierta, who's doing just phenomenal work, documentaries, and also helping um, kind of uh, engage the parks in those winter months. So with that, I will hand it back to Mr. Davis. Thank you. So I'll expedite through this next section, but uh, the next program that we have from OPE's perspective is the Know Your Rights program, and it's a perfect segue from what Ms. Stout was just discussing because our program is designed to help our community members uh, really understand their constitutional rights as it relates to public safety procedures and best practices. And these workshops are offered, they're uh, one and a half hours, and, um, but what, what's really unique about this program is, is the goals in which we're working to increase knowledge, we're also building greater understanding between law enforcement and the community, and we're working to improve those strength relationships and the foster safe interaction with law enforcement. Uh, what's unique about this program is the way it's designed. So there's four different workshop topics. So community members can choose to take any one of the four or all of the four, um, and they'll be offered publicly um, with scheduled times from OPA, but we also have uh, designed this program in a way that community organizations can come and ask for it, and we'll go to them and provide the training. But there's the civilian oversight training that provides the history of oversight, OPA's model, and just helps community understand the role of OPA here in the city of Grand Rapids. There's there's also training related to do what to do if you're stopped by the police, and that covers the basic rights of community members during police encounters and shares best practices for safe interactions. Then we have our refugee and immigrant rights section, and, and this is really unique. We haven't found this anywhere else across the country, so we're excited about this work, but it discusses the rights of migrant and refugee community members, uh, and, and we have partnered with Migrant Legal Aid to help develop this. But and it explains the jurisdictions of various law enforcement agencies. But what's really unique about this is it compares uh, the the laws of the country of origin for where these uh, our migrant and refugee community members come from to those here in the United States or to those here in Grand Rapids. So there's a clear understanding of the differences in application and interaction with the police. And then we have a, a general uh, introduction to the criminal justice system and how those processes work. Uh, so in the interest of time, I, I'll move forward. And Ms. Stacy talked about, Ms. Um, Stout talked about uh, why we're working with our refugee and immigrant community so much. But we recognize that, uh, that our immigrant and refugee community members face additional barriers, including those caused by structural racism and systemic inequality. So we've partnered with Migrant Legal Aid to develop these workshops. And we've invited uh, individuals from community from our immigrant and refugee organizations to provide 
their feedback on the, on the Know Your Rights program. So how do we do this again? Uh, easy answer, you go to OPA's webpage or you can give us a call. Um, and there's a form there where, where organizations can request training. We'll come out to the organization and provide it. Um, we'll continue to assess that. And then we have our first workshop is scheduled for May of 2023. I did want to take a second and recognize our these amazing organizations who've been working with OPA, not only to develop this training, but also in our immigrant uh, immigrant and refugee engagement in general. Some of them are here today. I did see partners from the Refugee Education Center, which you guys wave your hands, and we have partners from AllPAC here today and partners uh, all across uh, the city who have been supporting this work, so we're very grateful for that. We wanted to spend a little time talking about our, our refugee and immigrant data project. So, again, Ms. Stout talked a little bit about this, but we recognize that as of 2020, King County is home to over 100,000 immigrants and naturalized citizens. Uh, but we recognize there's still a need for data in this space, in particular, especially as it relates to interaction with our public safety department. So we're in the process of designing a landscape analysis for our immigrant and refugee experiences with law enforcement, and we're asking these types of questions. What data and information is currently collected? Uh, what data capabilities do organizations that we partner with have? And what are those primarily challenges? Uh, and what we're working to do is build interventions based off of that data. So instead of starting with our ideas of what to do, we're starting with the data and building from it to build interventions to build more positive relationships. So I also want to spend a little time talking about our, our traffic stop data analysis. Um, so as, as you know, in 2017, there was a traffic stop study that uh, was sent to determine whether there were disparities in traffic stops executed by GRPD along the lines of racial, ethnic, and gender lines. And the study did find that there were disparities. But since that time, there has not been an update related to our traffic stop studies. And we heard uh, both from recommendations from community, then from commission, and ultimately the city manager directed OPA to look at uh, this traffic stop study. And again, we were asked to look at it on a biannual basis. So now we're at the the process of doing that. This is an update where we'll look at the data over the last five years to evaluate where we are now. Um, so the initial research questions we're looking at is, is there evidence of race, ethnicity, or gender-based disparities in traffic stops? And how have the trends in traffic stops uh, shifted over time? Now, ultimately, the purpose of this study is to follow up on the previous set of recommendations uh, and to determine if disparities are borne out in evidence and determine interventions that create a more equitable Grand Rapids for our drivers. So as we look at this um, from a, a timeline perspective, we were fortunate enough to get a Harvard Bloomberg fellow who's working with data scientists from Harvard uh, at building out what this process looks like. We anticipate this uh, being, well, it has to be done during the time that that Bloomberg fellow is here. So we anticipate that happening over uh, the next year. All right. Well, that takes us to the end of the presentation. I do want to uh, thank both the city manager and commission for its continued support of OPA. In particular, we could not do this work without the amazing staff that works in our department, and several of them are here today. So I thank you for your work. All right. Thank you, Mr. Davis, City Manager. Anything um, before I open it up for questions and comments? I, I too want to thank uh, the staff and Mr. Davis for their leadership on it. Uh, we have a very uh, special Office of Oversight and Public Accountability. Um, 
I think the premier office in in the state and that we're not just focused on accountability and transparency but what you've heard today is a lot of other uh, supportive efforts to help us with um, restorative justice, community engagement, uh, violence prevention. I think that that's a very unique aspect of this office. And I really appreciate the work that uh, has been done. I mean, we created this from the ground up with the support of this commission and community. And I appreciate uh, their continued good work. Yeah, thanks, City Manager. I'm going to add my thanks to Mr. Davis and your entire team, as well as Ms. Stout and your entire team for all the work that you've done. I really appreciate getting this update. Uh, and I especially appreciate all the work being done around the welcome plan and implementation. I uh, want to thank all of our community partners, but also Kent County for stepping up. When we first started talking about this work back in 2017, I cannot believe it was that long ago. Um, I, along with several others, said this isn't just a, a city issue, it's a countywide issue, and we need a countywide plan, and we need countywide support, and we need to be looking at uh, implementation across the county. So really appreciate their, their partnership in this work. Uh, I have one uh, concrete question, uh, Mr. Davis, for you related to the traffic study. So will the process that we're using then for the current analysis of the last five years then be different than the study that occurred in 2017 where we actually had individual, we had identified, I believe, 20 different intersections. We had people there on site and there was real-time data collection and analysis and comparison. And then with the, if I remember correctly, we also broke it down between actual stops and equipment failure stops, and there was kind of a deep dive in the types of stops and then what proceeded after the stop. Right. So th the methodology is similar in some ways, but we are learning from uh, the past study to try to advance it. So it won't be uh, the exact same process. One of the things we're working through with the Harvard data scientists now is how reliable that data uh, collection methods still are today. Right. So that's why we didn't present a methodology at this point. Our, our plan is we're in the development stage for that methodology. And once we're able to get more uh, finite answers from those Harvard data scientists, we can update you on what that will look like. So follow-up question to that. I remember back in uh, 2017 when we did that, we looked at, at other cities across the country. And at the time, this was considered a, a best practice. Um, are there other examples now um, since then that are more reliable and valid there, processes? There are, there are other examples, and we have begun the process of looking at some of those okay. other cities as well. Um, you know, I think the question of whether they're more reliable is um, subjective, and we're hoping to get to a, a more objective answer um, before we make the final determination of what that looks like. Okay, thanks. That's good to know. Appreciate that. All right, questions? I'll start down here with Commissioner Moody. Thank you, Mr. Davis, for this report. I'm very excited with the fact that you're going to be partnering with the public school system for your eight-week program to assist children and uh, teenagers to look at the departments that we have and to groom them for the future. I think that's exciting because I always believe in grooming your own first before you go outside and look for others. Uh, that's just what I believe. Others may believe, but you always look for the best possible candidate. If you don't have it, then you go out and look for them. But if you got them, train them, because I like your quotes that you have in here for each one of those sessions. I think that's important. Um, and this question might be more so for Mr. Stout than anything. I was surprised at looking at the top 10 uh, countries of origin in King County, uh, according to the American Community Survey. I thought we had a large population of Africans in this community as well. Um, 
very, very diverse for sure. Um, but when it comes to the population, by far it is those countries, as far as the, the most numerous. All communities are important, and so that's why we're working to make sure our language access can serve those that um, speak in a language other than English, including ASL. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, and it, if I went to this particular website and just looked just for the African American, the African community on its own, would it give me a breakdown of, of the different tribes that are in this community or not? If you find it, Commissioner Moody, share it with me. Because I looked. <laughs> well, I said it. I mean, yeah, uh, Holland, uh, do you yeah. have that for the most recent data? I, I did scan the internet. I could not find it. I said it because sometimes when, when yeah, Chief Layman first came, uh, the, uh, I think it's the Ganganese community had a forum and, uh, at a particular church that we both, Congolese, thank you. Yeah, uh, so sometimes I don't pronounce my words right, but don't mean that I'm not missing the point. Thank you. I'm with you. <laughs> um, the, um, that community was very large at that date in which we uh, went to that forum. Uh, and the information that they were asking for was basically all the information that you're giving today, which I think is very important. And that's why it's good to hear it. But I was just surprised that there was another forum that I attended where there was another group as well. If and that group was pretty large, too. And I was just trying to figure out. Um, one thing about me, I'm always open to learn and adjust slides. So if you can connect me to that group oh, um, yes. and they can tell me that that data source, I can look more intentionally. And I can also work with Holland de la Cruz, who is the Welcome Plan Coordinator, to get updated data. Yeah, the Beth and Christian that. Services have that data as well because they do a lot with African refugees in this community. Bethany. Oh, Bethany. They're on the um, part of the group. We did um, ask other groups um, for what data can get. Some data is just more confidential than others, or they can't break it down too much further, like in the school districts, for example. So don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for anything negative. This is all positive. Oh, I, I was just surprised to see that they were not in the top ten. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been hard. I know there's – what I appreciate about today is that it shows uh, – it shines a light on all of the incredible work that has been happening for the last, really, year. So I appreciate this update um, from both of you. Uh, and I recall being a part of some of those early conversations about trying to get good data. And it is, it is much more difficult than uh, we anticipated. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. but we're not going to give up. We're going to keep looking. Yeah. Keep updating. Yeah. City manager. Just then, in response uh, to. Isassi, did you have your hand up? Just in response to Commissioner Moody's uh, question, and I know this is a very sensitive topic, uh, given <clears throat> the um, tragic uh, death of, of Patrick Leoya and, and, and that community being coming more inclusive in discussions, and we've been intentionally engaging with with that population. And as we, uh, Mayor, we start the uh, African. Um, Immigrant Refugee Task Force. I think that's an opportunity for us to be even more intentional about um, understanding um, the parts of Kent County where uh, the communities are. I've heard various numbers myself, and I don't want to over or underreport a number off the top of my head, but I too have been asking uh, for that kind of demographic. Um, so. Um, in real time, just got to update. Um, not census data, but the resettlement agencies are keeping track of their data. So in in Kent County or Grand Rapids, I don't know what the geographic um, scope is, about 8,000 um, individuals Kent County at the Kent County level, 8,000 immigrant refugees from, from Africa. So that's an informal number I just received um, through resettlement agency. I'm not to say that's the whole number, but that's 
part of the data. And then um, uh, Ms. De La Cruz also, she has some preliminary data from 2022 that she just received uh, this week that we will forward on to the commission. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank, you. thank you, City Manager, to, as well. Yeah. Appreciate hearing that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I, you know, in looking at the data, too, I think it uh, is a, emphasizes our need to partner with other cities and the county, especially as you look at the demographics and the data from Kenwood. Uh, having a good relationship and partnership with the City of Kenwood, I think, is essential as we do this work. So, thanks. Uh, Commissioner Isasi and then Commissioner Purdue. Thank you, Mayor. Um, thank you, Mr. Davis and Ms. Stout for the presentation. Um, you guys win for the, the, the biggest presentation of the day, <laughs> at least I'm going to assume so. But I think it's a reflection of the commitment that the city has to understanding um, how do we try to reframe, restructure, recommit to a public safety system that is accessible for everybody? And it looks very different, as you said, city manager, like there's there are realities that have happened here in the city over the last year, and I appreciate you always um, bringing them forward and not not trying to you know not trying to forget those things. And I think that's really important. Um, and I was on that traffic stop study back in uh, 2017. 2017. Did not have commission on my radar, but maybe that was the impetus. No. Um, so I have a couple of questions. Um, lots of good information, um, and I think just kind of, I think I learned a lot even with the welcome plan, all the things that are being done. And I agree too, Mayor, it is, it cannot just be on the city. And so appreciate the partnership of um, other entities, other cities, other counties, and other departments, because we know because of other issues that we're working on, like housing, that people are probably going to move around this region. They're not going to just solely stay in Grand Rapids. They shop in different areas. They go to school in different areas. And so um, I think that's an important reflection as well. Um, my questions are around around um, just a few. One, I'm interested to know, I have about four of them, so I'll, I'll read them and then you can let me know. Um, how many people will be in this next cycle of Know Your Rights group? So I know you shared that for um, the middle school program, but I'm interested for the 16 and up group. Um, for the proposals, will you be giving individuals, you know, I know they can submit an idea, but some can do some proposals. Will there be an amount um, do you have a budgeted amount of what you can spend or what an average proposal will cost? I think, you know, I, I just went through an RFP process and people said, you know, we don't want you to get, we don't want to give you the proposal and we're going to give you the ideas. And we're like, we're not going to take the idea if it's your idea, but giving them some, some guardrails I think is always helpful. And that might be included, maybe just didn't get on the presentation. Um, the second one or the third one is around the job fair pieces. Um, so I know we're going to have this expungement event and, and JARS is going to be there, and that's great. Do we have others that want to join in? Is it just a limitation of space? Because um, I know that there would probably be other organizations that would be interested in being a part of that, um, but I'm not sure what the, uh, you know, the, the process and, you know, are they going to lead that fully? And then can you also share with the expungement event, um, you know, I, I think... I want to lift up what you said about the woman bawling. Like, I have so many people in my life who have a criminal background, mm -hmm. who even if they are doing something, they feel so stifled by this. And so you kind of said it really quietly, like she started bawling. But like this is this is like you can see the change in people's lives. And so these sorts of events, I know they take a lot of energy. So my 
the clip is, please volunteer, volunteer. I got a notary on my day team, so I'm going to ask them to consider volunteering. It's a lot of work, but it's really important work. And so my question was, sorry, I got on a soapbox, is do they get information about like getting active like licenses or other things that maybe people kind of forego because you know, they're worried about getting caught up in a system that maybe might not be the most helpful to them. So that's a question about sort of the auxiliary supports. And then my last question is around the traffic stop study. I, I definitely am interested, you know, 2017 was a long time ago. A lot of things have changed. I think what have we learned, um, you know, sort of nationally, but also here locally. And I know one of the major, one of the issues in terms of tracking was that for those that, um, have a Latino ethnicity, it was hard to categorize from a racial perspective. So I don't know if that has been resolved. I know that was a real big topic of conversation back in 17. And obviously, there's been some changes with different censuses as well to identify even other uh, racial or ethnic groups. Um, you know, I know like, uh, um, I can't think of the group right now, but I know on the east side, um, one of the um, Muslim and Arabic centers was really focused on making sure their um, community was identified in census. So I, I would love to know about what are some of those things learned in terms of the demographic uh, pulls and how we can best use that in something in the future. So those are my questions. Thanks. Well, thank you. Um, I'll start. Uh, I'll try to start from the beginning, which was how many people will, will participate in the Know Your Rights program. It's unlimited. Okay. So uh, we there's two models for it. So one model is classes we offer, right? So we'll post, we're having this session on this day at this place, and it'll be open up to the capacity of people who want to attend it. Uh, the other option is for community organizations to host it themselves, and we just come teach the program, and that'll be based on uh, how many people the organization allows to participate. But we're hoping to get as many people as possible uh, through the program. Uh, as it relates to our community-informed training proposal amounts, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about whether or not we should put limits on how much that, how much the proposal should be. We decided against putting a, a, a limit um, directly, and the reason was we wanted to, first of all, this is the first go round, right? So we really wanted to give community the opportunity to really imagine as much as they wanted to imagine. And then give us the opportunity to come back and look at the, the funding that was provided to us from commission for that this initial year of that and determine how to apply that. So uh, we don't have an uh, official limit yet, but uh, I do expect that after this pilot year, there will be limitations put in place moving forward. Um, as it relates to the, the felon friendly job fair. Um, so. There were 11 spots available due to space concerns. My understanding is that all 11 spots have been filled, but if that changes, I'll make sure to um, make, <laughs> let everybody know. First come, first serve. Right. <laughs> That's kind of how it worked. Um, but Josh came to the table and said, hey, we, we know these people who want to do this and who will uh, hire felons. So we gave them first priority as it related to, to that part of the process. Um, and uh, with the expungement event, yes, there are auxiliary support services. At last year's event, we had several partners who, who came to provide some of those supports uh, to members of the community. And it was actually a, a very well um, attended part of the program. And we do intend to do that. Again, if there's members of the community or organizations who would like to participate in that, in that way, please let us know. We'd like to get you uh, included in that. As it relates to the traffic stop study and specifically around the update um, around ethnic groups or races, there are still um, 
a lot of those same difficulties still exist at the state level as it relates to how um, race and ethnicity is reported. Um, but that is one of the concerns that we have identified um, as we talk to those data scientists from Harvard about how we uh, evaluate what happened before and how we get some of that data we were hoping to get. So a lot of those same challenges do still exist, but we're trying to work through them the best we can. Thank you, Mr. Davis. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Commissioner Purdue. Yeah. Thank you for the presentation. Really great to see all the good work that's happening, all the really good intentional work. Um, I just had a comment. I want to say, you know, Mayor, I appreciate your question about methodology around the um, traffic stop study. Um, but I wanted to ask a question. I think it's about know your rights. Um, I see some of the metrics that you have listed here are really, um, you know, related to outputs um, and participation. But really would love to see if you are not already considering some sort of survey tool to, to gauge um, progress on the stated goals. Is there a increase in knowledge? Is there a increase in understanding between community and law enforcement? Would people recommend the training? Those more substantive type questions so that we know, is this a meaningful experience? Is it really meeting our goals? We really like to see those sorts of questions and tools added to the metrics so we can measure it. Thank you. Thanks. All right, any final questions or comments? All right, thank you. Appreciate the update. Again, thanks to the entire team, uh, both in your department and Ms. Stouts, and then all of our incredible partners that are helping us do this critically important but complex work. So thank you. Thank you. City Manager, final <coughs> comments, and then commissioners will go down to executive session. In addition to uh, Mr. Davis and Ms. Stout, I do want to thank uh, Chief Winstrom and Chief Lehman also for um, working with the Office of Oversight and Public Accountability and as well as uh, the labor unions who agreed to allow the recognition within agreement. And while there may not always be um, understanding, at least agreement eye to eye, uh, at least we have an understanding on the need uh, to work together on behalf of this community. I also want to, um, one of the other employment engagement opportunities is our youth employment program, our Grow 1000 program. And uh, in addition to those uh, opportunities Mr. Davis shared, uh, we are now accepting applications for that program through the end of the month for all youth who are employed, who are ages uh, 15 to 24, uh, working the summer 20 hours a week. So please uh, take advantage of that as well. Yeah, thank you, City Manager. And I'll, uh, I appreciate you lifting that up. And then we'll also uh, add my thanks. And I know the thanks of a lot of my colleagues around this table to both Chief Lehman, who we will miss when he retires uh, in our fire department, but also a huge thank you to, to Chief Winstrom. Really appreciate his leadership in the department and the department, as well as his partnership with Mr. Davis's office. So thank you, Chief. All right, Commissioners, with that, we will go down to uh, room 601.